0: It can no longer be said that the takeover of artificial intelligence is a thing in a far distant distant future. It is already upon us. The issue is so much upon us that it has even reached the minds and platforms of at least one Democratic presidential candidate, Andrew Yang. In part one of our discussion on artificial intelligence, we briefly touched on some of the theoretical commitments regarding AI and intelligence more generally. We also discussed how AI can have both positive and negative effects on human well-being, and how we construct meaning in our lives. It is this latter point that we will jump off on uh, in part two of our discussion. To help us work through these discussions, we have with us Oregon-bound philosopher Ramon Alvarado. Uh, This is Lawrence Talks, and I am your host, David Tamez. Ramon, thank you for joining us. And before we begin, remind our audience of who you are, what you do, and where you hope to take your research.
1: Hi. um, So... Thank you very much for having me, David. It's a pleasure to talk to you as always. I am a philosopher of technology, you might say. More specifically, I do epistemology of science. And even more specifically, I research the impact of computational methods in scientific inquiry. Um, In my research so far, I investigate the ways in which these novel equipment, uh, which are computers, interfere and or help us uh, gain knowledge, uh, scientific knowledge in particularly. In the future, I hope to take these insights of the epistemic problems or epistemic issues, issues related to knowledge, and transform them into insights of what it means for us as a society to be using these methods so this would be ethical insights, political insights, societal insights and so I think there's a lot to do in bridging this idea that epistemology informs ethics and I want to bring a lot of the notions that I've learned studying computers in science and the impact that they have in scientific inquiry and Seeing what it can tell us about using them for policy making or using them for decision making in our everyday lives, and so that could be a character characterization of my plans is to bridge that dilemma or bridge that uh, those two factors of what does it mean to use these machines for creating knowledge and what. Do the implications of using these machines to create knowledge have in our lives, political lives, societal, uh, social lives, and, and all that stuff?
0: Okay. And again, briefly, what do we uh, what do we mean by AI, um, and how is it? What are some uses or certain current uh, uses of AI today? Uh, because a lot of I think a lot of people have um, sort of this this sci fi notion of of what AI is. And so they think robots. They think these sort of walking uh, autonomous beings um, that are non-biological things, like the Terminator, or even the um, I think the the main character in Due, *Duex Machina* and the movie. Um, and so, what what are some uh, sort of specific uh, what What is AI and gen- and generally how are, uh, what are some instantiations of of, of AI today? So-
1: one of the things that I would like to point to people is that these characterizations of AI as some sort of humanoids and or robots and or, you know, things like the Terminator are an unfortunate effect of the name itself, artificial intelligence. And that name came about, of course, because there's some truth to the fact that we are trying to mimic intentional, mental, and emotional phenomena through machines, but it also came about as a matter of accident. So originally in the early 40s and 50s when these technologies were coming of age, um, they were used to just process information. Some of the information that they were processing was slightly more complex than earlier. And so these machines were called complex information processing systems. That's a very boring name, <laughs> right? Nobody likes that name. No, Probably nobody liked to pronounce it at the time, and right. certainly not today, right? And so some people at MIT and Carnegie Mellon started just, Abbreviating this complex information processing systems into the term artificial intelligence. So that by 1951, 52, 56, when conferences on these methods started arising, people would just refer to them as artificial intelligence. Um, and again, that's not to say that there's no truth to the fact that we, we were in fact trying to mimic some cognitive aspects of our of our human condition or human functioning, right? The Unfortunate effect is that this term artificial intelligence you know, it just feeds our imagination with these very anthropomorphized um, features. The first thing that comes to mind is the mind. The first thing that comes to mind is would these things have a mind? The first thing that we think is if they do have a mind, what are the choices they're going to make? Are they going to be any different than ours? Are they going to like our choices? And are we going to like theirs? And again, that's because we have this notion of artificial intelligence. In reality, in practice, Mm. artificial intelligence is a product and or a result or is in itself a data science. That is, it's a engineering practice, a computer science practice and and a statistical practice, analytics practice that deals with data. And so, you can envision artificial intelligence as being the third layer of the following steps. The first is big data. You get, gather a lot of information about a particular you know, phenomenon or about a particular behavior. And stuff like, that. You gather a lot of data. This big data itself. You can analyze it and you can see the patterns within it. That's big data analysis. The second step would be machine learning. You Once you analyze the data through big, ana- big data anal- and analytics, you can start inferring things about other sets of data or about information in that set of data. Because what machine learning does is that it goes through the data, looks not just at the patterns of the data, but of the patterns of the analysis, and says, oh, this kind of data is of that kind. That kind of data is of that other kind. I'm going to sort them, and I'm going to put them in their respective places. Mm-hmm. Right? That's machine learning. And then it uses this learning to predict whether other data that you throw at it will be of this kind or of that kind, right? Because it learned in, in a way, right? right? By learning, we just mean it stored information about patterns, that it found on previous analyses of big amounts. Of and data.
0: bases later inferences based on,
1: on that on, learning. Y- y- yeah, and that learning, again, they're just regressions and yeah. fittings of curves and then assessing the probability of the next data set of being of one kind or another, right? That's what learning means, in, in at least in the technical sense. And then you get... Artificial intelligence. So now what artificial intelligence systems do is, again, because you have the big data analytics and you have the machine learning analytics, then you get actionable insight. In artificial intelligence looks for ways in which what you have learned from the analysis can be used to solve problems, Mm -hmm. right? But again, what is it? It's an analysis of the learning data that was done on the data itself. And so it's data analysis over data analysis over data analysis. And then looking for optimal uses. And especially if you have a specific task, optimal outcomes of that single task that you give it, right? So I actually, you might think that what I just said was long-winded and boring, and I hope you do because that's (laughs) sort of like my agenda is to show you that artificial intelligence, as a data science, is nothing like what you imagined. It's a set of humming servers doing statistics on statistics on statistics of vast amounts of data. Um, So that's what artificial intelligence is, right? It's a data science. And you can see it, you can see it at the end as being the actionable part of data analysis.
0: Okay, and, and so in that sense, we shouldn't just be worried about it manifesting itself as a sort of humanoid thing. We should a- also be worried about uh, how what takes place in the background of th- of what we what what don't we see? Yeah, yeah, right?
1: uh, yeah, totally. I mean, so I- imagine this. I'm just going to give you a systems view of, of of the applications of big data. If you want to still think about this Terminator-like. Creatures, right, It's that robotics is just one of the many ways in which mm-hmm. you can apply data analysis of artificial intelligence. But th- what that means is that you want the best finger for your robot. Well, then you analyze a lot of data about fingers, and then you learn about fingers and what the most probable finger is for such a task, and then you implement that to design the best possible finger for that, right? Now do that to vision, and it's the same thing. Analyze a lot of images, and a lot of, analyze a lot of cameras and a lot of a lot of sensors for vision, and then optimize for it. Learn from it, and then optimize for it, right? And again, so ultimately, you you may have robots uh, that are artificial intelligent in this sense, in that. Everything they do is a product of data analysis, right? Mm -hmm. But these underlying aspects, the statistics that are taking uh, place in each one of these processes is what is more important to me because they can be applied, like you said, in invisible places. They can be, I mean, and by invisible, I just mean in the abstract sense. Any formal method could be optimized in this sense, and one of the formal methods that has been optimized by these kinds of technologies for the past 30 years has been finance, right? We don't see the numbers in finance, they're too big, we often don't feel the forces of financial transactions until sometimes even generations after or a few years after, right? It's the kind of thing that is not in your face. It literally doesn't have a face like Terminator does, mm-hmm. right? But it's also the one place where these kinds of technologies, artificial intelligence technologies, are perfect for, right? And they've been using them for. Because one of the things that I would talk, that I said earlier was that a lot of the processes in big data analytics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence were these sort of regressions where you look at where data is placed on a graph and then you try to fit a model to see where that data goes. You sort it out, right? And you put it in this place or that place. Those kinds of regressions are really good for looking at risk, Looking at what is the probability that my stock will fall or go up, right? They also look at risk that is related to money loss. So insurance companies have been using the same mathematical principle, the same statistical procedures, and the same algorithmic implementations of that to assess how likely it is that you were gonna cost them money, right? So again, is the kind of place where AI is in full adulthood and we haven't even seen it yet, right? right? And so if you think about what financial transactions really mean for society, if you think about what insurance transactions really mean for society, and if you think that AI is capable of taking those over and has taken over, you should be more worried about your insurance company or your judge at your local precinct using algorithms of artificial intelligence and machine learning um, on you than you should be about any robot ever gaining consciousness.
0: Right. Right? Um, and, yeah, so you... Uh, and this, in part, um, covers your... What, what you bring up in the, in the talk and then on the online uh, about the issue of opacity. Uh, opacity... Uh, um, We'll, we'll get to that in a bit, but um, that's one of the ethical issues that arise in, in this sort of use of AIs uh, with the algorithmic, the financial part. Um, what are some of the other finan or the ethical issues that arise out of this use of, of AI? and, and uh, if you want to get into the general general ethical issues of AI uh, more generally.
1: Yeah. So I mean, if, if you look at what's currently being debated in circles of artificial intelligence ethics and data ethics, a lot of the problems are very pragmatic problems, very short-term problems, such as how can we avoid this car from? Uh, I mean, how can we avoid the you know this car running into people? Um, how can we? make sure that, you know, this or that other robot doesn't decide to kill us or something like that, right? Or take some lives. And, that. and to me, the ethical questions are a bit further behind the curtain, right? The, the, the ethical questions relating to artificial intelligence are more related to the places in which we are... Letting this technology run free. Mm -hmm. And the places where we are letting artificial intelligence analytics take over our lives. So I'll give you a, a quick example, right? Most people are worried about artificial intelligence being done wrongly, making mistakes and, let's say, killing people and or being full of bias and being discriminatory, right? And they say, well, if this is an ethical problem, we ought to fix it, right? And so they go and they try to look at their data so that it's, they make sure that it doesn't have any biases. And then they try to look at their algorithm so that it doesn't have any biases. Mm -hmm. And then they look at the results so that it doesn't have any biases. And then they say, we're done, we clean our hands, no ethical issue here. For somebody like me, that's a strange outcome to say there's no ethical issue here. As long as this works fine, we're fine. Because to me, a lot of the problems will come when this technology actually works the best, when it's really good at what it does, and when it doesn't make mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because it is then that we risk just letting it go and do what it does without consideration, without deliberation, without thinking about whether we should even use it for that in the first place, right? Right. One of the things for me is choice—the idea that we can delegate choice to to these machines. Um, what should I eat? When should I exercise? You know, when should I brush my teeth? Little things like that are seemingly insignificant, but we have apps for all of that, right? What's the most optimal way to brush mm-hmm. my teeth? Um, what is the best time of day to run? And and things like that. And in the surface, they look like, that's fine, that's, that's perfect, there's no reason why I should be worrying about that. But in my head, every time we delegate one of these little things, we are taking away a piece of agency that I think brings some element of meaningfulness to my existence, right? Um, and again, by, I, I think I've heard, I, I've heard somebody say this analogy, not long ago, uh, she's the author, she's an author, sorry I don't remember her name, hopefully maybe we can put the link out there mm-hmm. once I find it, um, but she mentions that at every time we give up these little freedoms, these little decisions to an automated system, it's almost like a paper cut. If you have one, eh, you know, you can survive. If you have another one, oh, maybe it's not that bad. Yeah. But imagine a world in which all of our bodies covered in paper cuts. Um, and again, this is not my analogy. This is her analogy. Yeah. But I, find it, I found it really beautiful in that uh, at least that's what I imagine we're doing to our agency. And this is not when the system is opaque, like we said earlier, or when the system goes wrong. It's actually even when the system works fine. Yeah. Where does this take us? This takes us to something we were talking about earlier off air about nudging, right? This same problem that I'm putting right now is the same problem that is being, well, actually, is the same issue that is being fleshed out as unproblematic when it comes to nudging. They would say, you know, researchers would say things like, if we're using this technology in the right way, for the right purposes, and the purposes are benign, then what's the problem, right? We can nudge you into being a better human. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't anybody like that? You know, you'll be nudged into being a better human. I am of the opinion that that's not even possible, right? I mean, it's, it's almost like the kind of, of, of idea that in order to be or have a better life or be a better human, you kind of have to do the work yourself. And if you're delegating that to to a machine, you're losing something of what it means to be a good human or living a good life, right? And again, it has to do with with agency. We can talk more about nudging in general, but I think the general idea for me is to make sure that we understand that just because we fix little problems like opacity, like the fact that these technologies are opaque, or we fix little problems like bias in our data or algorithms, just because we fix those doesn't mean that we got rid of the ethical implications of the technology, right. right? So when you, I mean, your question, sorry, it was so long-winded, your question was like, what are the other ethical elements of AI? These are the other okay. ethical elements, the ones when AI works fine, the, one, the ones that, because they work so fine, we don't question
0: yeah, and so uh, I do have um, a a question regarding the, the nudging the nudging uh, conversation, and it seems to me, and this is coming from the Cass Sustine and Richard Thaler sort of material uh, with behavioral economics, mm-hmm. right? And and it seems like uh, the purpose of nudging um, or policies based on the the nudging uh, sort of theory is that. Human beings aren't perfectly rational, aren't always perfectly rational. Um, and in, in some respects, uh, they're not rational simply because they have these cognitive quirks. They have these um, or they're, they're subject to time costs and, and cognitive costs. And sometimes they are subject to make decisions uh, that aren't necessarily under their own sort of necessary. You brought up choice and yeah. agency. But it, it's they come. They make decisions based on these cognitive quirks, or uh, as a result of these cognitive quirks. Mm. Um, and so, one might say that uh, all that AI does is sort of neutralize the the decisions made due to these cognitive quirks. Yeah. So they're not necessarily taking away our um, our choices. Uh, at least what they're what they're taking away are these these choices that. It, we make due to these bad effect or these cognitive quirks, these bad things that cause us to stray away from some normative model of right decision making or rational decision making, and and in in that sense, um, they're not really taking away our effective choice because we're still make we still generally speaking have these uh, choices that we would make. Um, about our well-being, about yeah, j- under the right conditions, I would make the decision that the AI uh, would mm-hmm. have made, mm-hmm. uh, or would have made for me, and and really, well, all the AI is doing is taking away those those this, those bad decisions, yeah. those decisions, yeah. and not necessarily bad decisions in the sense that um, I wanted something bad or I wanted something um, uh, that I shouldn't have, but it's. Taken away those deci- those decisions that really aren't as a matter of my autonomy, my my actual choice, but due to some some cognitive thing that's going on at the at the time of decision making.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a good a good way of fleshing out the possible positive outcomes of the technology being implemented for our well-being, right? Uh, this idea that we are flawed decision-makers, we are irrational decision-makers, and and that, to a certain extent, it's not only that the artificial intelligence system is going to correct that, but that it's going to study us in such a way that it will know even the bad decisions that we'll make and just help us make it sooner and make them faster. It would just sort of help us be us, right? Mm. Um, If you want to flesh it that way, maybe, maybe. Um, I have a worry that is not fully fleshed out philosophically. I don't have a full argument for it. It's Mm -hmm. more like a, a worrisome intuition that I hope to explore in the future that has to do with... What ought to be optimized and what shouldn't, right? And this comes to me because I have a deep appreciation for aesthetic moments uh, where the effect, the result, the success of a random task matters less than the process that you go through Hmm. To achieve it, right? I, I, I see those processes of coming up with your own solutions, um, figuring something on, on your own, failing at it. I see those moments as deeply aesthetic in that we create them, we make them happen, right? And what you're telling me is the idea, it, it, it's dissonant in my head because it makes me feel like we may be optimizing something that shouldn't be optimized. What is that decision making? Mm-hmm. And that is not great for me to say because it even clashes with my own intuitions, right? Of course, yeah. we want to be rational. Of course, yeah. I wish everybody was rational. I, right. you know, yeah. I, I mean, I teach people to try to be slightly more careful with their thought process, right? When we do critical reasoning or when we do um, uh, courses like introduction to logic, right? That's sort of what we're helping, hopefully, to achieve, right? Right. To think better. Um, But at the same time, what we're teaching them is the skills by which they can figure it out themselves. We're not just delegating that to an automated system, right? So that's where I would draw the line. But, but what I wanted to say was that just like optimizing coffee intake may not be the purpose of coffee intake, right? Maybe optimizing our own flawed choices isn't what choosing is about, right? Isn't what choosing brings to us. Um, and so I don't know if I'm making myself clear. I think I got caught up in my own in my own um, analogy, right? But the idea would be this: Yes, you could use these systems to give you a better version of yourself or to help you make decisions. But I'm trying to go again back behind the curtains and say, should we even be looking to optimize that one thing that makes us human, or that one thing of our? of our nature, mm-hmm. right? Um,
0: and arguably that, that discussion takes place before we even have to consider machines. AI or machines, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, that, that's actually, I mean, you might see um, a big ethical question that comes from many, uh, many traditions, right? You might think that utilitarians would, just tell you about a calculus and they actually believe that the calculus was a way of solving all the problems of human ethical life, right? Mm -hmm. Because you would take away subjective preferences, you would take away socioeconomic status, you would just do the calculus and and you could figure out what you ought to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, they... Thought that. But then you have other people that are doing virtue ethics and saying, like, that's not what ethics is about. It's not just about doing the right action, it's about having the proper character
0: mm-hmm. to
1: do the right action, right? And so you might see that debate centuries ago, you know, a couple of centuries ago. And you, you have other people with other systems that were saying, it's like, well, it's not even just the calculus, it's not even just virtuous, it's about duty and blah, blah, blah. So. It might be it might be that what we're I'm saying right now is a a bigger ethical question, right? About what are what does rationality, what is the role of rationality and being optimal, optimally r- rational, um, have to do with being ethical or with living the good life or extracting meaning from our decisions, right?
0: right. Um, yeah, and so, and so it seems like. Uh, Maybe one definitely one issue or one one component that uh, really makes AI or relying AI re- relying relying on AI in this way is that it it, will, it may not uh, come out come with a, an opt out option, hmm. right? Because it uh, it seems like if it came out if it came with an opt out option, then some of these worries may may be sort of uh, addressed or may maybe lessened in some way because in that sense it, it's all up to the user um of how they use the AI, ai but it seems like part of your concern is it may get to a point where there may not be an opt out option when it comes to ai um because ai is going to have this o- this sort of uh, separate existence or separate autonomy from uh human use mm-hmm. that it's it's going to uh, be there or act uh, or do its thing regardless of whether we opt-in or opt-out of it.
1: Yeah. So going back to what AI is, right, and the idea that we have this analysis of data, we have this learning process in which we actually store the properties or tendencies of these data, and then we do stuff with that learning, right? That's what artificial intelligence is. We use it for something or other. We usually use it to optimize a task, right? Mm -hmm. And then you marry that to the idea that most of the data that is being created now is data about human behavior, right? And if you marry these two ideas, is, that, is is the following? So you have data of human behavior that is being analyzed, let's say big data analytics, right? And then you have machine learning algorithms that are learning about the tendencies, propensities, and probabilities of uh, human behavior being one way or the other. And then you have this third element of artificial intelligence of uh, attempting to optimize. For whatever human behavior is, Mm -hmm. right? Then you see the picture that I'm trying to paint here is that artificial intelligence systems are ultimately about optimizing behavior if you deploy them in behavioral um, contexts, right? And that sounds pretty strange to me. We are going to optimize the behavior of humans, right? if we deploy this in policy if we deploy this in the kinds of corporations that I have a deep hand in our everyday lives they won't be any opting out of right if we deploy them in government surveillance if we deploy them in you know insurance if we deploy them in even social media we're going to find ourselves trapped in an environment that knows more about ourselves than ourselves, for sure, but that's not difficult, but that most people around us, right? And when we're there, um, it's going to be a tough position, right? It's going to be a tough position to, to fight against, to rebel against, to resist. Does that make sense? Right, and yeah. th- Does that speak to what you were saying, the idea that we won't be able to opt out
0: um yeah so so the the idea with yeah i think that the idea with that comment was to say that um it seems like part of the issue or the issues that you're bringing up is is that it, it, there may be a point where we lack control of the use of of ai mm-hmm. um but if we always remained in control or in some sort of uh in command of how we use it and um whether whether it does take over all of my decision making or just some part of it, um, the danger seems to be that it ta- it taking over all of my decision making, yeah. yeah. and they're not being an option to say, "No, I don't want you to take con- uh, over that part of my decision making," mm-hmm. um, because it might be it might be good to uh, employ AI for because there are some people that are just bad at making financial decisions. Not yeah. not not necessarily because of time costs, not because of, of they're in a difficult situation, but give them all the money in the world, they're eventually going to run out of it because they're very bad at making yeah. Yeah. Uh, making yeah. financial yeah. decisions. Um, and so for them, it might make sense that they have an AI system that takes over their financial decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fear is that. Uh, even even in that case, is that they'll never be able to say, "Okay, stop taking over that role," um, or cease the operation of that AI, because mm-hmm. it's just going to be continuous and continuous. They're never going to have um, have that ability to say to shut it off. Yeah. And that seems to be the at, the, at a grander scale. Uh, what's sort of making these other issues more salient or more more problematic is that not only will it take over our, our decision making. Um for for just about everything. But we won't have a choice as to say we don't want that or we don't yeah. want it to do certain so, things. So and,
1: and to me the worry and this might be something that I've been conflating throughout our conversation, um and and just jumping back and forth through levels, right? The worry is that the first part is about the individuals, right? When we give out our choice as, you know, what are we going to eat tonight? What song should I listen to? What movie should I watch? Uh, Which, you know, which park is closest to me? Things like that. That's one worry where the whole um, problem of being nudged as individuals and being uh, unable to respond to bigger systems comes to mind but there's a bigger worry for me at the levels of society where these systems are being implemented for vast numbers of people at the same time and those are going to be where we're going to find hardest to fight because we already have established certain kinds of structures like bureaucracy like political systems that, you know, in a certain extent, take over the role of some of our decisions, right? Because it's kind of hard to do it yourself, it's kind of hard to organize yourself, so we have these things like institutions, we have um, when we already have that, and then you automate that with optimizing software and artificial intelligence systems, that's another sort of threat that I see. So, The kinds of threat that I see is more um, prescient and present than the threat of you as an individual just losing all your agency is when we as a society start losing agency because these systems are implemented at the societal level. So when courts begin using risk assessment Predictive algorithms mm-hmm. to decide whether you should have a Parole or not or how long a sentence to give you if you committed a crime The problem is not just what it does to you as an individual or the kind of agency that it takes From you as an individual is it's a societal problem is what it's doing to society right because any individual could be put in in that situation when Insurance companies are using the same kinds of predictive risk assessment algorithms to decide who to give uh, insurance to or how much to charge you for insurance, right? Um, Again, the, the harm is not just done to the individual because these institutions are wide range, wide, broad reach institutions, right? And so I'm more afraid of the kind of societal agency that we will be losing slowly um, through these kinds of optimizing systems, than I am of the deeper but slower gradual destruction of our individual agency, right? Because, you know, at, at any moment in life, you might decide to wake up or not wake up or have the egg you know, with your left hand or with your right hand or... So you'll still have these little choices, right? Yeah. I mean, of course, some, when I speak about this in individual terms, sometimes I try to push it far just to, to paint the picture, mm-hmm. right? In a visual manner and in a personal manner. But I'm more worried about this sort of loss of agency and or loss of autonomy and or threat to choice, at the societal level, right, where these technologies are taking over policy-making procedures, right. okay. Um, does that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that that clears up uh, a little bit. Or, um, but I, I, st- I still want to say, or, or you can still say that even at the individual level, that's still problematic. Like the way individuals use AI. Yeah. But I think they're in, but they're only further uh, uh, the issues made worse. When you try to expand it to the making social decisions or, or institutional decisions, mm-hmm. where it, it where it uh, replaces the bureau- a bureaucratic body, a human bureaucratic body that goes through its own processes and um, and conventions about yeah. how to make how to make decisions for for the greater for the greater whole.
1: And, and sometimes i mean, going back to the flawed nature of things, right? I is this intuition that comes back to me. I think, for example, in some cases, uh, you I don't want to talk politics, but let's say in, in recent politics, it is precisely some of the flawed parts of our bureaucracy that put all kinds of brakes on things, that, you know, put all kinds of walls onto procedures are the kinds of things that are saving us from somebody just coming in and running through with their decision-making, right? Even the people at top have to face this problematic, bureaucratic, bumpy situation in order to go through with their whims, right? And so, again, if you've managed to have a very optimal system just, you know, steamrolls uh, the decision-making process, you might make it so that even the bad decisions are more quickly enacted or are more quickly made. Mm. Um, so again, I mean, this is just to speak about the flawed nature of, of um, about the virtues of flawed systems, yeah. right, <laughs> versus optimized ones.
0: Yeah, there's a, there, there's some value to um, error and like, um, the reasons why we have insurance companies is because people make, make errors, but that, that, that error creates this need for um, this this social institution. This uh, just like when we break the law or when we um, have disputes, that creates space for for law and, and people to partake in um, adjudicating those cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so all this sort of to me brings up uh, something that I think you you mentioned it earlier. It's sort of a hard pill for. Us as philosophers to take is, or at least uh, some philosophers, because most of us will, uh, since since ancient times, will say that our decisions should match up with either the best reasons mm-hmm. that we have, or the uh, what has uh, we have what we have most reasons for, um, or that fits some normative idea of, of rationality and 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 that which often involves providing reasons and stuff. Yeah. And so if uh, and so whatever. And that often that involves uh, doing whatever we have the best argument for. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that uh, AI can have that capacity to evaluate arguments. Yeah. At a yeah. greater at a greater pace than mm-hmm. we do. Hmm. Um, and so,
1: especially uh, formal arguments. I mean, formal arguments are no problem for logical systems, right? Yeah. And, I mean, that's what they are. That's what computer What computers are? They're logical. Systems they run through arguments. That's how they work through arguments.
0: Yeah And, and you mentioned this earlier with uh, that the end goal may be being not as important as the, the the Lead up to or the process up to that end goal. Um, But it, even it, that remains uh, that we as philosophers have uh, this sort of commitment that um, The best argument wills out that yeah. the best argument should yeah. dictate what yeah. we end up deciding um, and so if Arguably, if we assume it's the case that uh, this A- these AI systems are able to evaluate all the possible arguments for something, it seems like we can't really argue with them, with the choice that they end up making. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Or is, uh, unless, unless at the outset they're already operating with this sort of maybe utilitarian idea of optimization. Maybe we can argue with that or they have some sort of libertarian view of, of – uh, sort of algorithm that supports this more libertarian view. Yeah. Um, And if that's the case that AI is able to do all those things and evaluate arguments and then create the the best output in light of those arguments, um, where can we argue with them? Mm -hmm. Or where can we dispute their choice?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of things, right? The first thing is to consider the fact that just like many of us, a lot of our arguments are working through assumptions, right? Some of the Mm -hmm. premises are Mm -hmm. going to be assumptions. And if you're arguing with somebody that read Kant, he might have the assumptions of rationality and the assumptions of deontology already in their argument. And so one way of arguing with an ethical position is by doing metaethics, ethics. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's the best way to argue with, with ethicists is by doing meta-ethics because that kind of brings to question those assumptions. So in that sense, of course, we always have a resource to argue, um, with, even with a machine, yeah. just trying to figure out what, the, what system they're going by and then arguing from outside that system, right? Um, the second thing that comes to mind is, well, opacity. Right The fact that uh, the, the funny part about funny not haha, but the interesting part <laughs> of these systems is that because of the complexity of the procedures that they undertake, we have no access to the arguments themselves, yeah, so we don't even know what they're talking about, like literally right, if, if this was a person. We have no way of assessing by the ways by which they arrive at their conclusions. And oftentimes this is because the length of the procedures is just so long. It will take you, you know, a lifetime, several lifetimes. Oftentimes, if it's big enough software program, the lifetime of the universe to, to go through all of their premises and conclusions, right? So there's no way for you to even assess the validity of the argument. That's mm-hmm. a big problem, not just ethically speaking, but in philosophy of science because we're used to having explanations and we're used to having transparent methods in science and it seems that at least with machines this complex, we don't have access to the methods and we have no ways to assess whether the methods were reliable to start with, right? So we can talk a bit more about that. That's the problem with opaque systems and the fact yeah. that if we're talking about arguments, we won't have access to the processes by which those arguments were made. But I want to touch on something even more important that I think we missed the point when we, when we were, you know, earlier talking, is that, yes, it might be the case that we as philosophers or other rational people want to hold on to the idea that mm-hmm. the best reasons ought to to be the only ones that we use for support of our positions. Mm -hmm. We might want to hold on to that. But that doesn't entail that we want those best decisions to be reached by whatever processes. It's actually Mm -hmm. something very important about the processes by which we arrive to those decisions. And that has to do with something interior, almost something inside, something uh, deliberative, About it right so if you think about when you're teaching your nephew or your niece uh, math right and then you tell them you know if you multiply this by this you get that now do it yourself and then they do it themselves and then it's like if you multiply this by this you get that and you ask them no no but did you really do it or did you just memorize it why do we ask that question does it matter It matters, right? For some strange reason, which has to do with understanding, explanation, insight. It has to do with something interior to the way in which that person arrived to their conclusions. So even if I gave them the best optimal way of getting it, but they didn't do it themselves, we're not satisfied, right? So now, coming back to to that idea that we want the best reasons to be the only ones that back up our reasoning and our positions, that doesn't entail that it could be just by appealing to a machine to give us those best reasons. Mm-hmm. That doesn't entail that it's just by pressing a button. It doesn't entail that we just care about the success of finding the proper reasons, right? I mean, even in the history of philosophy, having justified True belief is not sufficient to count as knowledge because we figured out, it's like, oh, that could happen accidentally. Yeah. True belief can happen accidentally, and accidentally is not good enough. Memorizing is not good enough. There's something almost inherent to decision-making that involves character, right? Or character-building properties. I'm not right. sure how to flesh it out, but it, it seems to me that... that. um we don't just care about having the proper reasons. we care more about having the proper procedures for the proper reasons to back our reasoning.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, about sort of developing in these uh, either these dispositions or these traits or these habits that uh, lead us to making the right decisions, like this sort of uh, sort of character development uh, or sort of creating a better um, self or better us is, it seems, uh, it, and so not necessarily the end product of, of a better us, but the sort of that, uh, the process of, of making those developments yeah. seems to be, seems to be important. Yeah. Um, it may be asked though, important for whom?
1: Uh, um, and by that,
0: by that, yeah, by, yeah, by, yeah. by that, I mean that, um, not everyone is, is going to be find that um, all that meaningful or all that important to their way of of living. Mm-hmm. Um, they may want to just maybe they want uh, AI to take over for a great deal of task, but they but they themselves want to focus on one particular uh, deci- piece of decision or, yeah. or type of decision making, um, and everything else they want to be sort of taken care of in the background. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so they're, in some sense, you can say that they, they're losing out on some kind of development. They're losing out on some, uh, developing, uh, these, these, uh, abilities or these processes to make better decisions in, in these other areas.
1: And, you know, again, I I think I want to go back to, to what they're missing out on. And I think the previous conversation that we had, I, I, has just mentioned, that they're missing out on meaning-making opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's precisely what it is. It's meaning-making opportunities um, that you don't have when you may fail, that you don't have, or, or that you do have when you may fail, that you do have when there are stakes, personal stakes, character stakes, right? Um and these meaning making opportunities are you know different from different people you might not want to like you d- might not want to be figuring out how to fix your car when you could do something better like going to dinner with friends if your car was working mm-hmm. right and you might want to delegate those kinds of things but again the the, the the problem that I see is just the the missing out on um, Just like when, and this is kind of hard to flesh out again, it's not a philosophical argument, it's more of an intuition. Just like there's more opportunity for meaning making when you get a flat than when you don't. Why? Well, because it's something unpredictable. It's unexpected. You might meet somebody that helps you. You might struggle and find out that nobody will help you ever. And that's meaningful because now you're jaded and now you hate. you're, You're like, it's just an opportunity to create meaning, what that meaning will be or whether that meaning will be good or not. That's another question, but it's an opportunity for meaning when things don't go exactly as planned, when things are not optimized for right? Now, again, I want to separate that from whether that's a good thing or not, right? right? Again, you may live a good life. You may live a meaningful life. A meaningful life is not always a good life, right? Uh, And meaningful moments are not always the good moments in terms of being the best, the optimal, are you know, the, the ones that bring you the most well-being. In fact, they're often not, right. right? And I'm not saying we should strive for that. I'm just saying we should preserve the opportunity of meaning-making. And we, if we're putting systems that take away the opportunities. It's not like they're taking away meaning. Right? They're taking away the opportunity of meaning-making situations. They, uh, if we optimize for absolutely everything, less unexpected things will happen. Less opportunity to engage with the world in a way that can teach us different things will happen. Um, yeah. yeah. So that, that's sort of where, where I'm at in terms of the meaning part, is that it's not like... Artificial intelligence is going to take away meaning and it's not like we won't be able to create meaning with artificial intelligence. Of course we will. I'm just afraid that because I see them as optimizing machines, as optimizing methods, as optimizing statistical methods applied on data about ourselves, I fear that these meaning-making opportunities are going to be less and less and less, right? Um... Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it, it seems like uh, to to sort of help us uh, help us wrap up, uh, it seems like part of the uh, concern that you have is that not necessarily that AI is going to sort of take away these these opportunities, uh, simply, but uh, it may happen before we're able to uh, make a decision about. These sorts of things, or uh, at least deliberate with one another um, as a, as a society, as a community, uh, just about just about how we should be going about and using AI, and what what sort of world we're we're interested in. Because yeah. at the moment, many people aren't aware of how it's everything proceeding, how AI no. is proceeding. No. And so, I take it that part of your part of the worry, or part of the uh, intuition that you have, is that all this could. It, is right now, is taking place without many people knowing, um, and given that we don't know how AI is being used or how, uh, uh, what the status of AI is, we don't have the opportunity to decide for ourselves um, what we're willing to accept, what world future we want mm-hmm. with AI, um, and that does seem problematic.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean so again let, let's say I just go back to the way we have been doing ethics of AI in the past, you know, in the past 10 years or so, and how concerned we are with mitigating harm, right? Which is it's a worthwhile endeavor. I mean, we shouldn't m- diminish harm whenever we can, but we are forgetting to ask whether we should deploy these technologies in that specific context in the first place, right? What do we want them to do? What do we want to do with them? Um, And in some sense, also, what do we find valuable? And I think that's, again, one of those super deep ethical questions, right? When we are forced to do a meta-ethical assessment on our own values, Mm -hmm. what do we want to preserve? We are right now... In a moment in the history of time, history of humanity, where we can ask that again, and I think that's great about about artificial intelligence. We can deploy them to do so many tasks for us that now we can ask ourselves, well, well, but do I really want it to do that for me? Do I really want it to decide, uh, you know, how much, how how long I want to spend with my kids? Do I really want it to give me through the app, you know, um, what? Dinner I should have today instead of figuring out figuring that out collectively with my family, right? Um, we are in a position where we're, we should be asking ourselves, what are we willing to give up of our daily lives? What are we willing to give up in our social lives? And, and what should be preserved, right? To me, maybe personally, I don't know, maybe that's just me, choice. Mm-hmm. Choice is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Discovery is huge. Serendipity. Is huge right Um, because I think those things are part and parcel of character building and therefore of a possibly good life right for others it might be not but that's the discussion we should be having right what kinds of activities are we willing to stop doing right Um, work is one of them right so a lot of people are worried about automation and a lot of people are worrying that AI systems are going to take over their work. Well, instead of just worrying whether they're going to take over our jobs and then we won't have money to eat and or whether our family is going to have money to go to college, we should also, on top of that, be asking whether work has any value for us. Maybe it does. Maybe it is the kind of thing that humans should cherish, right? Work. Uh, I mean, if you ask... Specific people, some of them may tell you now, like I actually thank you very much. Take over, <laughs> this is so bad and boring, and I don't have time to do what I find meaningful. Okay, great. Now you just discovered a way in which AI can help you get rid of that thing that you inherited from you know past generations. Um, but again. It's not the result that I'm asking or that I'm bringing forth right now. It's the questioning itself that I think is important, where we are faced with a technology that is able to take over so many of our tasks that we find inherited or inherit, uh, in, implicitly valuable. And we can ask whether we want to preserve them or... To take you know, or or to be taken over, and and I think that's, I think again that's that's a deep that's a deep ethical question. Uh, what do we want AI to do for us?
0: Okay. And, and in addition to that, uh, and as as we um, come to a close here, what's the takeaway that you think people listening should uh, should bring out of this conversation, or what would you like them to take out of this conversation?
1: I, I think that I think that last point that we touched upon. Uh, so imagine a world in which AI could do anything and everything that we imagine it to do. Imagine that world. And then imagine what kinds of things you wouldn't want to do without. That's what we should be thinking about. Yes, of course, you know, automati- um, self-driving cars matter and how many people automated cars kill is important. But don't forget to ask the extra question of whether we should be deploying AI in this or that place, right? Um, again, for me, because serendipity matters, because character building matters, there's just some places where I, I don't want AI to go, right? And that's the kinds of questions that I, I think everybody should be asking. Um, yeah, no, that's that's pretty much it.
0: Well, Ramon, thank you for joining us. Uh, I think this was a very uh, good discussion. It it, it highlighted some of the things that that, uh, was great about about the event. Um, And with that, folks, uh, in in the impending uh, doom of AI, um, thank you for joining us. This was Lawrence Talks, and I was your host, David Temes. Thank you.